I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me today is Dr. Jennifer Margaret Barker, a professor of music at the University of Delaware and a 2021 Master's Fellow recipient with the Delaware Division of the Arts. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. So glad to have you joining us today. We had a lot, I had a lot of fun uh, chatting with you ahead of time with uh, some of our connections through our past, uh, particularly Syracuse University, which I trust you'll touch on. But let's let's go back before that. Talk a little bit first about how you got involved in music. It's a uh, little research I was doing. It's a charming story about you and your family coming from a musical family. So how did you get started? And then how did this impact you and your household? Well, um, I have to thank my parents because really they got me involved and me and my siblings involved in music. Um, I started playing piano at five and so did my siblings. And uh, I re it really was um, something that my parents both wanted to do. My father was very, very interested in music as a child, but his parents couldn't afford uh, violin lessons for both sons. So they were able to afford to pay for lessons for his older brother. Um, but my dad didn't get any lessons. But unfortunately, when he was walking to school, his older brother thought he looked like a sissy carrying a violin. So he used to hand the violin to my father, his younger brother. Um, so my dad was always sorry that he got to carry the violin, but never got to have lessons in it. And um, my mom came from a very musical family. They were all uh, a lot of ministers and, and doctors um, in that family. But um, they were really all self-taught as musicians. Uh, no one was trained. Um, and she really didn't get piano lessons or any other lessons either. So she sang and so, so did her brother, but that was it. So when me and my siblings came along, the four of us, uh, they decided that the first thing they were gonna do was make sure that we all had lessons. So we were all put into piano lessons. And then from there, they also put us into different instrumental lessons. Mm -hmm. um, and so by the time I was 12, I was having piano lessons, violin lessons, and oboe lessons. And then on Saturday morning, instead of going to all the sports activities, they were ferrying us around um, between lessons and wind ensemble, community wind ensemble, and community orchestra, and community choirs, and um, activities like that. So, so music was always a part of my life, as well as my brothers and sisters' lives. And uh, my parents have always really, really enjoyed music. And we, we grew up with it. And, and actually, really early on, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And uh, it was funny because my father kept sort of trying to suggest other jobs. And, and um, I think my brother really wanted to do music as well. But of course, he was a boy. So, you know, he ended up in law. And, and uh, that was sort of a more appropriate um, career for, you know, for a male. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, no one ever questioned me going into music, maybe, you know, because I was the daughter, but, uh, or maybe because they thought, you know, um, I would be okay in it. I'm not sure why, but uh, that's how I ended up in music. Now, you received your fellowship in music composition, but you were also, you, I believe you originally started st your studies in performance. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, so when I went on to university, I went as a pianist. And I really wanted to become a collaborative pianist. 
and uh, play a lot of chamber music. Um, I had an absolutely fabulous piano teacher. The great thing about my parents was they not only gave us lessons, but they found out who the best teachers were in the area. Mm -hmm. And um, Anne Thompson was our piano teacher. And she not only taught us piano, but she would she was the one that encouraged all of the parents to um, have their children start other instruments as well. And then she actually put together chamber groups. So even at the age of uh, 12, I, we, I was in a piano quartet and we won um, a national competition for under 18s, 18 year olds um, for um, piano quartet music. So I was the pianist and the other four players were string players, but they were also in Ann Thompson's piano studio. So I grew up not only being in wind ensemble and orchestra and choir, but also having chamber music as um, one of my regular activities. And I absolutely adored that. So I went to college as a pianist. And then when I came over to the States, it was actually to come over and do a master's in piano performance. I okay. never really had any interest in composition at all. Hmm. So what was the trigger for non-composition as well yes yes you're 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 going to laugh at that one um i uh i was in my third year in my undergraduate and the thing about the united kingdom it's changed now but back then it was the old varsity system where you had lectures that you would go to once a week and you studied um in the library you spent your entire life in the library and you studied everything you could study. You weren't really sure what was going to happen in the exam. But at the end of the year, not a semester, but an entire year, you had a three hour examination where you basically had to throw everything out on the paper as to what you knew and what you had learned that year. And so the history classes, you can imagine, were really difficult, memorizing dates and, and mm -hmm. opus numbers and keys to pieces. And so in my third year, I realized I was going to have three histories. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, three histories, two was bad enough, you know. And uh, so I asked if there was anything else I could do. And they said, well, there is composition, but we don't have a professor. But if you want to go down to the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, and I was already taking my piano lessons down there, and ask if someone would be willing to teach you, then you could do composition. So I went, I you know, Julie went down to the RCS, um, which was formerly the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. And uh, the composer John Maxwell Geddes took me on and uh, I just fell in love with it. But I never really saw it as a serious career. I, I was going to be a pianist. Uh -huh. And really, it was once I got to Syracuse University, uh, where I chose to go for my master's degree in piano performance uh, for one reason to study with George Papastavro who was uh, a great um, performer of the Charles Ives Concord Sonata in the 1950s. Um, I went there to study with him, but when I arrived there, I discovered this, there was this fabulous group of young faculty composers, including Daniel Godfrey and Andrew Wagoner, uh, Joe Downing, Joseph Downing, and Melinda Wagner, who's actually now head of composition at Juilliard. And they saw my composition work. I can't really remember why now. And they encouraged me to stay on and do a master's in composition. And as they say, that's, you know, the end of the story or the start of the story. I mean, it was just was their encouragement and their guidance from Syracuse was unbelievable. I mean, they basically set me on the right on the right path 
to follow a career in composition. Now, I'm, I'm curious. I know you talked about learning piano and then taking on other instruments, and then you went on to composition. And I recall my childhood. We, most of us studied piano, and then several of us took on other instruments, either for band or marching band or, or whatever. And several of us sang as well, and I continued to do that. Uh, do you see piano as kind of a foundational instrument for the study of music? Yes, I do. And um, I don't think it's really seen as much as that nowadays, but really in my generation and earlier, um, it was, I mean, everyone said you start with piano. And, and I know parents who know a lot about music and also who are interested in their children going forward with musical careers, they start with piano. So even people like Sean Gao, who's a local violins, violinist, one of my colleagues at UD, He's a concert violinist, but his parents started him off on piano. Yeah. And uh, so really that was the tradition then. And it's, it's, it's very important, yes. A foundation is a very good term to use there because once you fully understand the harmonies and, and, um, and the literature from the piano, you can really understand the other instruments much better. Right. And I'm always fascinated by keyboard musicians because I've always contended for all the other instrumentalists and for vocalists, almost without exception, they're only thinking, they're only dealing with one note at a time. Yes. Where the, key, the keyboardist is having to deal with a whole bunch of notes at a time. Yes, well that, it was funny because eventually my two brothers um, gave up the piano. And so they got that foundation, but they stopped taking lessons because they, in fact, especially my uh, elder brother, Craig um, is a very fine trumpeter, but he could not coordinate the two hands and the two feet and read the music at the same time. So that was the difficulty for him, whereas I found it much more natural to do that. Yeah. So that, that's your background in, in the early years and, and coming to Syracuse University for your master's degree. From there, uh, I, I want to pursue how you uh, got onto your doctorate and ultimately at the University of Delaware. But first, let me remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. I'm chatting today with Jennifer Margaret Barker, professor of music at the University of Delaware and a 2021 master's fellow recipient of a, with the Delaware Division of the Arts. Jennifer, uh, your doctoral degree, I believe it came down to University of Pennsylvania. That yes, that's correct. Yes. I um, have to thank the Syracuse professors again for that because uh, they were the ones that took me aside. I was uh, teaching for them as an assistantship and then they gave me a year as an adjunct faculty member once I graduated with uh, my second master's because I did piano performance first and mm -hmm. then stayed on for composition. And uh, they took me aside, sat me down and said, have you thought about going on in academics and going on in composition? And, and I hadn't. I was going to go home and, and freelance as a collaborative pianist. And so they said, well, we think you really should consider this. And then they started suggesting schools, universities that I should apply to. And the University of Pennsylvania was really because of the connection of my teacher there, Melinda Wagner, who's... Um, uh, as I mentioned before, is now chair at Juilliard. Um, she, uh, she studied at the University of Pennsylvania, primarily with Richard Wernick, but also with George Crumb. 
And so that was one of the, the universities on the list for me to look at. And I was very fortunate to be accepted there. I absolutely adored my four years there. It was a fabulous school in a great city in Philadelphia. So how did you end up at the University of Delaware? Well, after the University of Pennsylvania, I started looking for jobs and I was looking back home in Europe as well as in the United States. And uh, I interviewed in England and Ireland uh, and then in several states over here, even as far up as New Hampshire. And then I eventually got an, uh, an interview for um, a small college in Virginia, which used to be part of the College of William and Mary. Um, it's Christopher Newport University, but at that time it was just breaking off from, from William and Mary. And uh, so I accepted the position and I stayed there for six years and I absolutely loved it. Uh, but I also realized that if I, um, if I, I wanted to get back to closer to a bigger city so that I could enjoy more of the cultural opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when the position opened up at the University of Delaware, I applied and and uh, because I knew the area, I knew Philadelphia from my graduate years and I knew how many fabulous new music ensembles there are in this region, as well as in Baltimore as well. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't want us to run out of time without talking some about your composing. I'm curious, what, what, what is your, how would you characterize your compositions if there is a general way to do that? Uh, who are your inspirations? What kind of, what, what do you try to achieve for your compositions musically, stylistically? Well, I, when I first started off, I was uh, quite a bit more atonal in my style. I was more experimental. Obviously, when you're in college, you try everything. Um, and my teachers were encouraged me to try different styles and and uh, but as time went on um, and especially once I graduated from uh, University of Pennsylvania, I really came to realize that I was I felt much more comfortable in more of a neo-romantic style. So the overall style is a contemporary classical co uh, composition, uh, but I've really become more of a neo-romantic composer. Um, I realized very early on that I'm not the person who's going to make the great new breakthrough in style um, or in uh, uh, genre. Um, you know, my own teacher, George Crumb, is one of those iconic composers who sort of set the standard and created a new language in contemporary classical music for the next generation. But uh, that's not really me. Um, in many respects, I love tradition, but I also love color and I love texture. And um, so I'm very happy really just to to uh, write what I feel. I don't have a system. I don't have, um, uh, well, I don't use a mathematical system. I don't use a pre-programmed system. I really write from the heart and I use my ear. So in many ways when I'm composing, I'm actually writing the same way that I play. Um, so that's, that's what's important to me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy with where it's going now. I've, I've started to allow my sort of Scottish background and my folk music from Scotland uh, bleed into my music. I didn't really intend on doing that when, but when I was in Virginia, I received about three or four commissions asking me to write a piece that had Celtic flavoring to it. 
And so at first I thought, oh, why am I doing this? But then I, I realized that I really enjoyed that. Um, it's difficult in some ways because when you're trying to amalgamate folk music with classical music, there's only so many ways that you can do that without losing both genres so that you don't, you know, where they become so in intertwined that you actually don't recognize them. Mm -hmm. So when I do bring my Celtic folk heritage into my music, I try to leave it as organic as possible um, so that it is actually recognizable as Celtic. Are there composers, I'm curious, that uh, sort of in, have uh, influenced you in that in that realm or that you've looked at? I'm, I'm thinking Aaron Copeland and how he weaves yes. American folk songs. And is it Edvard Grieg who takes uh, Scandinavian folk tunes and Sibelius, you know, some of that? Yes, definitely. And and many of the Russian composers yeah. from the late romantic right. period sure. and then Vaughn Williams from yeah. uh, from yeah. England, the yeah. folk songs and and even Bartok, you know, yeah. I mean, I grew up playing all the microcosmos and and loving Bartok. And um, it was interesting because uh, George Crumb said to one of my colleagues at one point, he said, um, you know, you and Jennifer, uh, this was to Ofer Benamotz, one of my colleagues. He said, you and Jennifer are so fortunate because you have this rich uh, folk music tradition that you can pull on in your compositions. And Ofer actually turned around to him and said, he said, but you have the same thing. And he actually hadn't thought about that. And when he thought about it, that's when he started writing the American songbooks, which actually utilize Appalachian folk music and set yeah. them. So there's now nine of those folk books. But, um, Interesting. Yes. It's, it's odd that someone had to point that out to him. It's just, you know, we often don't think because we grow up with something and we don't think about it as being having, having the richness of a tradition that it does have. Right. Well, uh, I'm curious, is there a particular uh, size instrumentation that you write for? I know you also do some choral work. I, I, yes, I no. see that some of your work is... Uh, combining both choral and, and instrumental, but are, are, is there a scope or a, uh, do you prefer smaller ensemble type compositions or? I've done a lot of work for chamber music, but I've also written uh, quite a few pieces for symphony orchestra. So I don't see myself as limiting myself to just one genre. Um, I write uh, orchestral works, choral works, larger ensemble works, and also have written a lot of chamber music um, and then a lot of solo works as well. So. Okay, great. And before I forget, uh, people can find out more about you on your website, correct? At Jennifer That's correct. JenniferMargaretBarker.com. That's um, correct, yes. yes. So we've, we've got a minute or two left. Talk about the range of uh, opportunities you've had through music, particularly as we were talking offline, about the work your husband does as a videographer and how that has taken you to, into some really exciting projects. Yes, in 2003, I, I uh, met my husband on a cruise to Russia, actually, mm -hmm. a Baltic cruise. And uh, it's a funny story because I went with my parents and he was the youngest man on board. <laughs> and uh, the uh, because it was sort of an old people's uh, cruise. And uh, he was actually the videographer for the cruise at that time. Fred Olson and uh, I started talking to him really because he had 
the he was doing you know in, in music we especially as composer we spend a lot of time recording so uh -huh. he was working on the technical side and so there was a connection we started talking and i discovered that he had been um a cameraman and editor he actually hates the word videographer so that's that's why i have to say that he's now he now likes the fact that everyone's saying cinematographer okay because you know, we don't really we don't use video cameras anymore it's DL, dsl um cameras right so um so uh, he had been working it in it since 1981 and I when we started talking I was putting out my second CD of compositions and he said have you considered putting music videos to it together and I, I thought well that's that's more of a pop thing you know not a classical thing but he talked me into it and um, at the time uh, AOL is it was it AOL.com uh, was the only internet site where there were music videos and when we looked up it was just photographs you know yeah. with Vivaldi's Four Seasons there was nothing that actually took you through the music and actually showed you in visual element what was happening musically so we started doing that in 2003 and then eventually YouTube came along and and we've traveled the world actually um, with grants actually allowing us to film to do these music videos and also uh, we find it's a great way to talk to community groups uh, especially people that wouldn't normally go to a classical concert or buy a ticket for an arts performance and we go into church uh, halls and um, we go into community halls and we talk and we show the videos and it's amazing how uh, the audiences really enjoy them and they realize that they enjoy the classical music even though they don't think they will and it's because the visuals have taken them through it uh -huh. um, and so when we build a music video it's completely tied the music is first and the video is second uh -huh. and the video is actually leading people visually through the music and with that i'm afraid we're running out of time we're going to have to wrap up jennifer margaret barker a professor of music at University of Delaware. Thanks so much. I encourage our listeners to find out more about you at your site, jennifermargaretbarker.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much.